Bismillah, assalamu alaikum. This is Baraka Blue. I pray all is well with you, all beings in the cosmos tuning in to Path and Present Podcast. I want to introduce this podcast. I sat down with Dawood Yasin, who is an amazing human being. He is an outdoorsman, a nature survivalist, someone who hunts uh, with a bow, not even with a gun. A gun was too easy, so he started hunting with a bow. He hunts elk, deer, you name it. And he's part of this eat what you kill movement, opting out of conventional uh, factory farmed meat and actually going into the wilderness and feeding his family from the labors of his own hands. He's a beautiful human being, and he's also uh, an imam, a teacher, someone who leads many retreats uh, into the wilderness and teaches people these survival skills. We talked about a lot of topics, most of them relating to the sunnah of nature, the fitra, the primordial state of human beings, and how being in the modern world in these big cities, we are often disconnected, and that to be spiritually spiritually grounded... um, is to be connected with nature. So we talked about that, and I think you'll dig it. Before we start, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who supported and who's listened and who shared and who showed love for Path and Present. Uh, We just started it at the end of 2015, and we had a beautiful, beautiful uh, response. And inshallah, we got big things of Guan for 2016 as we continue to grow the podcast if anybody out there wants to support, you can uh, send us through PayPal uh, any amount, and, and it's a community-run initiative, so your support is very appreciated. You, se- you can send it to connect at com. That's connect at com, and that will support the multimedia people, the editors, and all the crew who's helping me out. And in any case, you got to send your love and your light and your dua and your positive energy from the heart and soul of your being that, inshallah, uh, we can spread benefit far and wide and continue to showcase beautiful human beings doing beautiful things in these days and times. All right, without further ado, dig it. Path and present. <laughs> I, I wasn't educated in the halls of Harvard and Yale. Mm. I was educated on the decks of whaling ships. Mm. So that's how he wrote Moby Dick, right? And uh, that's that's so. There's that, and that's what John Tilligato speaks about in terms of, <clears throat> you know, a lot of those transcendentalist movement that occurred, and 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 you know, Jack London, mm. you know, his 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 education, his writing right. came from. The San Francisco Library literally verbatim copying the San Francisco Chronicle every day. He would go mm. in and just write it out. That's mm. how. That's what mm. he did. But also, I mean, taking a ship from New York mm. to San Francisco that time when you had to go down around Argentina and come back up sure. because the Panama Canal didn't exist, sure. right? That'll that'll give you an education, you know. Yeah, there's just something different about people that, like teachers, masters. Who their knowledge is kind of practical, yeah. Versus those who are more theoretical. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's certain spiritual masters who they're teachers primarily. So they mm-hmm. academic, intellectual, mm-hmm. scholastic, 
and their primary mode of income is through teaching students and through Mm -hmm. studying Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that obviously but there's just i've noticed there's a different texture that i actually really resonate with to people who work with their hands or they have a trade or and did you have that in your background growing up like is that what you were exposed to as a kid well my father is a sailor Uh and he grew up around ships and so I always grew up at the water in Seattle and he that was like his passion like any free moment he was on the water Mm -hmm. and he's actually did it since he was very young and he became like a master of a a specific ship called the star ship Mm -hmm. and and uh they they race it's an olympic class Mm -hmm. of boats so he he's like olympic level like world class like in that world everyone knows him Mm -hmm. and um he would go all around the world and, and, and race these boats. And, but just like the, the kind of passion that he had for it. And my dad's not a religious person outwardly by any means. But what I saw is that his spiritual path was his boat and mm-hmm. his sailing. Mm-hmm. And I think, though outwardly you wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily characterize him as a spiritual or religious person, there's certain things that being in the elements teaches you yes that's in the a, sense that like you know you can't control the weather but you can control your sails mm-hmm. you see what i'm saying you can't yeah. control the wind but you can't and if you get that yeah that translates to every aspect of life yeah and other things like that yeah. and so just the subtleties of of with the water and the wind yeah. and being and waiting the patience yeah. and then yeah. the moment and yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. you know so he was the skipper of a ship so I, th- I feel like that was his spiritual path and that was his school and that was all those things and so i just grew up around that and that mm-hmm. definitely influenced me yeah 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 no i, was a, I, I grew up around just a, around manual labor right mm-hmm. and, and and carpentry a lot right my mm-hmm. uncle's a builder and 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 my and a cousin of mine who worked for him i've done you know, worked with my hands in that and also landscaping as well too mm-hmm. and so again just people in and in in with natural Right, like um, you know, natural—I don't want to say resources, but natural—you um, know, it, it, it wasn't like concrete or it wasn't tar. Mm. Or it wasn't you know, it, it, like it's wood, organic and material. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And wood is very and wood is because you can see that transition of where it comes from. Tar is like we don't know how it really comes about, right? Yeah, mm. I know there's something to do with some petroleum and they mm-hmm. heat some stuff up and they put some other stuff right. in it. But wood, it's like no, I see that tree and I'm not holding. It in my hand and I'm sitting on this thing that or I'm mm-hmm. in the structure that is created from this thing mm-hmm. so again like you said when people have that craft and, and 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 take it and for me that's why I think furniture making for me is this resonates you know what I mean like I have a huge respect for people that make furniture mm-hmm. as well as houses as well too but it's a larger structure but I think like the kind of the the, the intricacies of the of furniture are, are fun yeah and I think about like the relationship between the crafts and spiritual path because mm-hmm. in traditional societies definitely in traditional islamic society i know the most about you know there were guilds mm-hmm. that were related to actually these like sufi orders mm-hmm. so there would be the carpet weavers mm-hmm. there would be the jewelry makers mm-hmm. the leather workers and you know the people that made the tiles the beautiful tiles and every aspect of it had a certain spiritual significance so the colors 
in the tile, each color represents something, the shapes, the geometry, mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. And so there was a certain like teaching that was going on while you were doing that. And, you know, if you look at a lot of this, you know, masters of our tradition, those of Hadith, those of spirituality, law, many of them actually, they had jobs. Like yeah. they were, yeah. you know, carpet weavers mm-hmm. or cobblers. they were uh, cobblers. cobblers or they were steel workers, sword yeah. makers, or they were yeah. perfumists. Yeah. You know, they had yeah. like a, yeah. it wasn't their occupation to be a spiritual master. That was okay. just, their occupation was how they yeah. wove it in. Yeah. Know? And that was interesting. I remember Sheikh Abdurrahman advising people to, to be patient and look for answers of their questions in the poetry of the Hadrat. Mm. Mm. You know, so it's, so not so to necessarily teaching. ask directly a teacher a question, but wait for the spiritual poetry in the gatherings of remembrance and the arwah that are in there and mm-hmm. the strength of the arwah. Those spiritual the the souls. Right, right. Mm. To be answered on that on that level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Titus Burkhart, he wrote this book called Fez City of Islam. Mm-hmm. And he was really into art and the, the power of art and, and the spiritual path. And he loved Fez because Fez, for those that don't know, it's actually the largest medieval city that's still preserved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a humongous city all within the traditional walls. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's surpassed that, but the traditional walls and what's inside of it, the old Medina is still preserved. And so, you know, you literally have tens of thousands of people living in a city where no cars can go. Mm-hmm. And so it's all donkeys. And now some people have little motor scooters, but it's these teeny little streets and all these nooks and crannies. And in fact, in the fifties or sixties, they wanted to build a, like a motorway through it. Mm-hmm. like a freeway mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Titus Burkhart like worked with the king to petition it to be like a UNESCO heritage, human heritage site to preserve mm-hmm, it and, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. did but anyway one thing in that book that he mentions is he talks to an old comb maker and they would make the comb out of bone mm-hmm. like camel bone or whatever and he said every process of this making the comb had like a spiritual significance and every the teeth of the comb represented something mm-hmm. like the he mer- the comb is one, but then the teeth are many. Mm-hmm. So it all represents that the realm of multiplicity emanates from the one source and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was like the whatever fifties or sixties, the comb maker was saying, you know, I'm the last one that's going to do this. This is a tradition of a thousand years or more. But all of a sudden, these uh, cheap plastic combs are coming in from China. And so my comb, they, each one takes a day or two or three days to make it. So I have to charge a certain amount. And these, you know, plastic ones you can sell for a penny or a nickel or things like mm-hmm. that. And, um, yeah, there's something about that traditional world where everything was made by hand by someone who dedicated their life to making that thing. Mm-hmm. Every pillow, every blanket, mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. article of clothing. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you know, we see is lost. Thicker beads in Turkey that mm-hmm. were polished by the tears of those who were making it. Uh, right, and they would uh, also often have specific litanies for making certain part, mm-hmm. portions mm-hmm. of it. 
certain mantras and things. Yeah, man. So tell me, because one of the things that I'm fascinated with is that you you are a someone who spends a lot of time in the wilderness, and that's and I know that's very important to you. You know, not only are you like a hunter itself, but you're kind of like an outdoor survivalist. Like, you, and so I wanted to know just what's the inspiration for that, and what is the significance of that for you? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard. <clears throat> I think to 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 think of it in that terms because I feel like I'm constantly looking up to people, mm-hmm. and and so those terms for me are like I I can't even put myself in that in that category. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, and that's and that's something that that I think in one way is good because it constantly keeps you keeps you you know. Um, striving to, to, to hone your skills and to become better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. I think it's, it's reminding yourself or challenging yourself to be able to live without some of the, um, benefits of modernity mm-hmm. but not rejecting modernity I, i'm not i'm not i'm not a luddite rejectionist mm-hmm. not 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 in the least bit but i'm also not someone that um has put all of their eggs in the proverbial basket right mm-hmm. so um I, you know i want to know certain things mm-hmm. right i want to know uh fire making uh quite well uh, in the event that i need to make uh, a fire and, and if there are things that we don't even think about right you know uh, people in Vermont, I lived in Vermont and New Hampshire prior, ride with, I'm not going to say everybody, but a lot of people ride with a hammer inside of their glove box. Mm. Right? Why? Because it's real easy to overturn on a car, mm. right? On the snow and the ice um, when, when, when the situation, and it just happened to a friend of ours. You know, the simple reversing out of someone's driveway, the, the night, okay, we're going home, have a good night. Yeah, you too, see you on, you know, Monday back in the office. Going out for dinner, seven o'clock, you know, no drinking, none of this stuff happening. Car turns over in a ditch, mm. and now you've got your seatbelt on, and you're stuck. You don't have anything to, you know, get yourself out of the car. And then, uh, you know, if the locking mechanism somehow malfunction, how are you going to get out of the car now? Mm. Everything that we have is plastic. How are you going to break the glass? So it's thinking about things, you know what I mean, on these levels. I had a, a friend of a friend who I met who was on the subway, um, you know, at 9-11. And, and they couldn't, they didn't have anything to break the glass to get out of the subway car. They finally got something to break the glass to get out of the subway car. Then they're in the tunnel and now they don't have any light. So from that point on, I constantly carry a Leatherman with me and uh, a headlamp. Mm-hmm. I take it when I travel, it's in my cars. And it's just, you know, it comes in handy. You know what I mean? You oh, my oil's down in my car. I've got to like you know put some oil in it, for example. And now you're in the dark somewhere, or changing a tire. All of these things that we don't think about that can happen to us, but do happen to us. And what happens if AAA can't come, or you don't have AAA? So it's you know, I mean, it's thinking about these things kind of in those in those situations that you know I think at times we become comfortable, uh, like you know that's not going to happen to me. But everyone thinks that, mm-hmm. right? No, everyone thinks it's not going to happen to them until it happens to them. And so my kind of philosophy, what I've taken from others, is to have some sort of edge, 
mm-hmm. right? Be as subtle as it is, but some sort of edge that's going to help you, um, you know, in those times when something does happen to you. Yeah, I was thinking about that because we went to the movie The Revenant together a few nights ago. And I was thinking about how, you know, on their person, each person has in a pouch or pocket, you know, knife, a flint to make fire, mm-hmm. um, you know, gunpowder, bullets, you know, whatever you have, mm-hmm. you have a list of tools which are 100% necessary for survival. Mm-hmm. And I think about the fact that in the modern world, you know, we walk around in these big cities, right? Sprawling metropolises. And we also kind of have our tools, right? Mm-hmm. Your debit card or mm-hmm. your credit card. That's like, right. that's a necessary tool. You can't yeah. leave your house, you know, your computer or your, you know, handheld computer, your little yeah. phone. And all these things are like the tools of the modern world where you can't actually navigate the urban wilderness that's without right. them. You can't that's function. Right. And, the, you know, but again those tools don't translate at all outside of that's right this environment outside of the paradigm yeah and i think you know for me that's what i that's what i think about like you know um all of those things that are contingent upon something else mm-hmm. right and and, and mm-hmm. so for me what i'm looking at are those things that are not contingent right so you know, and the, and the, and then become like these natural, the like the natural world, right? How many of us know how to make cordage out of certain plants that are growing in our neighborhood, for example? We don't have to go out to, you know, the Ohlone wilderness to to find that. It's growing right in this neighborhood right here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How many of us can can even just use what's around us right now? But it's interesting though because, you know, in 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 what you said, you know, the pouch and the and the and, and you know having a knife and a gunpowder and these things like that. Um, we also need to know then how the maintenance and the upkeep of those things, mm-hmm. right? Because then a, the gunpowder is of no mm-hmm. benefit to me if it's wet. Mm-hmm. How do I deal with now keeping things dry? Or how do I dry things out that are wet, right? We don't even think about it. It's just subtle things, you know? One of the things that we learned in our fire-making class um, in the courses that we took um, in, in Maine, which, you know, as you say it's wet, and one of the things that you need to do is you need three things to make a fire, you need tinder, you need kindling, and you need fuel. Now, tinder are normally, we say, is like something that's as thin as a hair and as thick as a matchstick, right? And then you, and then uh, kindling is normally like a matchstick to like um, your, uh, your index finger. Mm-hmm. And then fuel is like those larger stuff from like your index finger or your wrist uh, up to a quart of wood or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But when it's wet, it's now a game changer, right? Because now you have to deal with your tinder. And the tinder is the most, and normally you want to have a 60, 30, 10, uh, you know what I mean? In terms of ratio. percentages ratio mm-hmm. when you're building your fire. 60% is going to be tinder. 30% is gonna be fuel, uh, sorry, kindling, and 10% is going to be, this is when you're starting your fire. So, so you've got this bulk of work that's labor intensive, man. You're literally like pulling threads apart because all you need is the ember to catch one of those and you know what I mean, light it on fire. But if it's wet now, what do you do? So one of the things that we learned was while you're out gathering your stuff, you put the tinder in your armpit. Mm. <laughs> or you stick it like down your pants. Mm. And this area is an area that it's high heat. 
Mm-hmm. So it's drying out your material for you and not wasting time because out in the elements, you got to protect it from being, right? And what's going to pull the moisture out of it? Mm-hmm. So there's just these subtleties, right? That you learn that I said kind of give you that edge. Mm-hmm. And now again, you know, as I said, you're not, you're not contingent upon some, on, on, on anything anymore, right? And that's how I think about it in terms of like, you know, <laughs> almost like, Hukum li-ghayrihi li dhatihi wa li You know what I mean? We talk about this, uh, and I just kind of, this is how my mind works, you know what I mean? Mm. Like I'm thinking about things that are that are, that are an essence in and of themselves, and then others that are contingents kind of to make them whole, if you will, you know, in that, in, in that essence. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, and I get the feeling, too, from talking to you and from others who... Um, spend a lot of time in wilderness and learn these skills that it's not only primarily if stuff hits the fan, as they say, and Mm -hmm. if society crumbles and if Mm -hmm. civilization, you know, falls apart, Mm -hmm. but it's that regardless, Mm -hmm. there's something that is gained from those skills that fundamentally alters your life. Yeah even in society. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it's, it's true. I'm not, you know, I'm not, my drive for this is not solely because if we have some sort of societal, you know, um, disintegration that, that, that occurs. Um, but it is important for me, for example, knowing how to boil water, for example, to survive. I mean, it, for me, it's, it, it was, it, I don't know the full conditions exactly how things happened, but um, to be in a flood situation and not boil water and then die of dehydration is something, you know what I mean? To me that, that, that mm-hmm. I, it's, it's hard to, and again, people's situations are very, are very different. I'm not saying that, but I'm just, I mean, just things that you would know <clears throat> when you have this kind of idea, a, a bottle, a pair of sunglasses or something to use the sun to, you know what I mean? To light that tinder, for example, to get a fire. Once you have a fire, you have water. Once you bring the water to a rolling boil, you can drink it. Now you're good. And you only need small amounts to be able to live. But, you know, for me, um, it, it's, it's, it's more of, of a connecting with something mm-hmm. that just talks to my soul mm-hmm. in a way that I just, I don't get in an urban, you know, in an urban, in an urban setting. And, and then for me, I kind of look at that as a weakness, right? Because I, I, I should be able to do that in both places, but I'm just not there yet. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like for me, you know, the real relief comes when I'm driving and I'm seeing this in my rear view mirror mm-hmm. and I'm seeing the mountains and I'm seeing the sky and I'm seeing the sun and I'm seeing, you know, these things that are just, you know, they, they, they become like... Uh, you know, the elixir that begins that kind of purging of the toxins that are inside of me spiritually, if that, if that, if that, you know, if, if people can relate to that, that's to me what all of this is about. You know what I mean? It's actually finding literally like, like that's, that's, that's my milk and honey, man. You know what I mean? And every time I, I'm, I get excited about going out there to do that, you know, it's just a different, it's just a different energy, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different energy. Mm-hmm. And so, because you've shared a little bit with me, but I'm curious about your training, like how you got into this. And um, maybe you could share some stories about when you were learning about 
hunting, but also just wilderness skills, <laughs> survival skills. And every time I meet someone who is has a skill or has a certain level of mastery, I'm always curious about their master. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So who, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How'd that come about? Well, I think, I think we have to probably take it back a little bit. You know what I mean? I think, you know, we're all, we all have our own kind of experiences that shape us to, to, mm-hmm. to who we are today. And I think, you know, I was blessed in terms of where I grew up, I feel anyway, that, you know, I grew up on an island uh, off of Massachusetts, Nantucket Island, which is a very beautiful island. It's it's a historical, you know, site with, with very strict rules and preservation. I mean, mm-hmm. the town is, is cobblestone streets. Some of the stones, some of the, and it's an interesting story how that, you know, these cobblestones, basically when the whaling ships in Nantucket was a huge whaling port, mm-hmm. one of the largest at the time. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, ships would come in and ballast, you know, is to ballast, you know, you're talking about ballast. Mm-hmm. So what they would do is when they come into the harbor, they'd have all these rocks. And as the tide uh, was, 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 was rising, then they would unload, they would unload their, their rocks, you know, and then they just didn't know what to do with them anymore. They were getting so many rocks inside of the city. This is how the story mm-hmm. goes in terms of town and town. So then they began to cobblestone the streets mm. so that's how we have i mean literally our, our main street in nantucket is a cobblestone street so anyway i mean this is kind of i grew up in this in this area it's 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 you know there it's like two stories of the highest that you can build you can only build out of brick and wood um you know and and it's a real quaint kind of new england town mm-hmm. um they call it the largest uh, gated community in the world. You know, it was an article in the New York Times magazine that quoted it as such. But anyway, I grew up. I grew up there. Family had been there for a while. My great grandfather came, uh, actually, on a whaling ship out of Cape Verde, and and our roots are there since like 1896. We've been there for mm. for a minute, and and our house um, is um, situated in the town, and we're about you know, probably 100, 150 yards from just this probably, you know, couple thousand acres of, of, of a salt marsh that leads into the, the harbor mm. of the of the town. And just, you know, growing up and, 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 and as a kid, you know, alhamdulillah, my mother just like, you know, you had free reign to kind of go and play. Mm. And that was really your playground. You know, so I grew up like around this and a lot of times by myself. You know, I'd just be there all day by myself, you know, um, and then you're looking at, you know, the, the, the ecosystem that exists there. You're looking at, you know, the fish, you're looking at the birds and you're looking at all these things, hearing the bird calls and, you know, other other things such as that and just kind of in your own world. So so I think for me, like that, the, the, the land itself really was my first teacher, you know what I mean? And then it was kind of family that were doing things um, you know, people fished a lot where we were, obviously, and we ate a lot of seafood and a lot of shellfish and just kind of what that was like, digging clams, what we call blue clawing, like mm. actually going out with a net and walking in the what the salt marsh and uh, blue claw crabs. So we'd actually net them, you know, w- with your uncle. And sometimes when you were too small, you just have to sit in the dinghy and they would walk with a dinghy tied around their mm. tied around their their uh, you know waist and just kind of fling the crabs back into the dinghy and you'd be in there scurrying around <laughs> trying not to get bit and trying to put them into a five gallon bucket and mm-hmm. you know what I mean so so you learn these things you know kind of growing up how to fish how to tie knots how to clean them how to cook them 
you know, entertaining guests with that. And then the same thing, you know, with game as well, too. So, again, you know, that, that was, I think, you know, kind of indirectly really where, where, where that began. I think that really, as we uh, as I like to think, planted the seed for me, you know, that planted the seed for me. Like, But then kind of as I got older, I found myself kind of in metropolis after metropolis. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, I've lived in New York. I've lived in London. I've lived in Paris, you know, in, in Dubai and um you know, in other places as well, too, Cape Town, Johannesburg, mm-hmm. and 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 yeah, there were there 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 was always this kind of something inside of me saying like, look, I don't I don't know a lot, but what I do know is that I don't like being in cities, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I so for me, I think that was you know when I when I then kind of you know my studies after conversion went to Damascus and kind of you know being in that environment, being in the soup, you know these 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 ancient, you know what I mean, markets where you're just seeing the, you know, fresh produce coming out every day. And, uh, and, and I'd seen a little bit when I was in Paris, but, you know, looking at potatoes that still had the dirt on them and, you know what I mean, and the eggs that still had the chicken, you know what I mean, the droppings on them. And, you know, it's just kind of all these things going through your mind. And, 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 and thinking like, I actually like this, man. You know what I mean? I really like this. And so for me, I think that, you know, that always had me wanting to 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 kind of move in that direction. And so, you know, I was looking, you know, I'd read some stuff on Tom Brown, his work, uh, tracking work um, that, that, that he was doing in, in, in Jersey. And but actually a good friend of mine, Nuri uh, Friedlander, you know, he he said, well, hey, you know, because we we're thinking about doing this together. Mm-hmm. Nuri was interested in it. He said, well, check out this school in Maine, man. And, and we checked out this Maine uh, primitive skills school, it's called, um, with, this, with uh, a man by the name of Mike Davis, who actually was a direct student of Tom Brown Jr., mm-hmm. who, who really kind of opened this idea up, who was trained by um, uh, you know, a Native uh, American who lived you know, uh, traditionally um, and spent many... Uh, I think it was a few years actually living between the U.S. Uh, and 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 Canada, mm. like you know, off the land, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so these are the skills that are being transferred. So 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 we ended up ended up going to to, to Maine uh, for some classes with Mike, and 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 that I think for me it was really what what opened it up and gave me what I was looking for. Um, in terms of what they call soft skills and hard skills, which is really interesting. So the hard skills, you know, how to boil water. I'm sorry, how to make a fire, how to purify your water. Um, these are these are some of the hard skills. Uh, shelter building. Mm-hmm. Soft skills are more of like the philosophical. Mm. You know what I mean? Like how to uh, read the land, for example. Um, how to um, you know na- navigate. For example, primitive navigation when you're in the woods and using certain objects uh, to get yourself to from one point to to another, um, stalking, uh, fox walking, you know um, these types of things. You know, raccoon sees with his hands. You know, so these are a lot of the skills that we were learning in this. And um, you know, Mike Mike is an interesting an interesting fellow. Um, incredible skills living up in an environment that's pretty harsh I mean he's in about central central Maine um, you know it's it's cold and frozen for for most of the year there uh, and he's teaching these courses year 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 round and I remember just kind of looking at the website and looking at what people were doing 
and uh, and saying, yeah, you know, I want I, I want to get some of that, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And 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 it was really great because I feel like not only did I get skills from him, but I feel like we also connected. You know, he has his own kind of spiritual path and and what he believes in. Um, but we really were able to tie into a lot of the spirituality that was that was a part of of, of, of our tradition. He kind of asks us some questions and and uh, and 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 kind of you know because one of the things I thought was really really interesting was that um, there is this um, and I can't think of the name right now um, and it's not nettleweed but it's uh, something else. It grows right next to poison ivy, mm-hmm. and it's the antidote. Mm-hmm. For poison ivy, so, and 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 but you have to normally you have to put it on before you get poison ivy. So literally, it's like a it's like a like you know this prevention mm-hmm. that you put on prior. And I and I'm pretty you know like I get poison ivy. I mean, as a kid, I'd be jacked up. Like had to go to the hospital and get cortisone shots. Mm-hmm. Like I'd get really swollen up, both eyes shut. I remember one time and just you know I'd get poison ivy pretty bad. So, uh, so we did it, man. We rubbed the stuff on it and we were walking barefoot. You know, I spent this whole kind of five days up there in Maine. The second time that we went, the second week of class, you know, I spent the whole time up there with no shoes on, you know, just, and, 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 and living, you know what I mean? Uh, in a debris hut that we had built. Um, but what I wanted to say was, you know, and then, so when I, when I, when I looked at that, I said, wow, man. You know, you know, there's this hadith that says, that Allah does not send down a, a, a sickness or a malady except for with its, except for with its medicine. And the ba here, if you look at it, linguistically, the ba is musahaba, I mean, literally companionship, with it. Mm-hmm. So we know what, if the fly falls in your, mm-hmm. in your food, what do you do? You dip it in so both wings mm-hmm. are then in it because one is the sickness, the other is the cure. Mm-hmm. So when I when I hit that, when he said, I just like, I was like, wow. Like here's this, you know what I mean? Potent, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you know. Um, Example, uh, proof. It, it, right. And, and it was interesting because I had a med student that I, that I talked to this about mm-hmm. and she was like kind of like skeptical, you know what I mean? But then she did a test on herself, man. You know, she rubbed poison ivy on one arm and then rubbed this, uh, gosh, I can't think of it. I have to look back at my notes mm-hmm. again when I get home, but and rubbed it on the other arm. And sure enough, man, the arm without it flamed up and mm. the arm with it was fine, mm. you know? So, so, so yeah, it's uh, just pulling from people that are, that are connected, man, you know? For sure. Yeah, man. And I feel like there's so much sophistication in traditional so-called primitive peoples uh, but it's just focus in a direction that we don't necessarily consider sophistication so for instance uh there was one uh professor something i think his last name's davis anyway he spent a lot of time with the people in the amazon and he his whole like life has been dedicated to living with the tribal peoples on the outskirts, like the furthest removed mm. from society mm, mm. and documenting that. He went to Harvard as a, you know, anthropologist, fascinating person. And he gave this Ted talk about disappearing languages and mm-hmm. how fast languages are disappearing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, languages are disappearing faster than anything, faster than any species and things mm-hmm. like that. And he mm-hmm. said, the, the problem with this is that a language is an old growth forest of the mind 
right? It contains a worldview and all these stories and this whole human collectivity. And he's like, we're losing one like every week or every month, like very rapidly. Mm. Um, but he talks about the certain skills that these people have, like the idea that they're primitive or backward is ridiculous. They just focus their skills on different things. And one example he gives is he talks about uh, some of the peoples in the South Pacific. Um, And these are people that live on islands. And some of these islands are, you know, thousands and thousands of miles apart. Mm-hmm. And some of them, the, them are very small islands, but yet they populate them and they trade and they navigate. Them. How did how could you possibly navigate that in a very simple boat? He talks about the actual sophistication of understanding currents mm-hmm. and understanding mm-hmm. stars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because if you set off in a direction for this island thousands of miles away, if you're off by the most subtle degree, mm-hmm. it's going to send you mm-hmm. my, you know, hundreds and thousands of miles Mm-hmm. Ah, of course. Mm-hmm. So how, yeah. without using any That's instrumentation. Right. Right. Yeah. And he said, literally, he said, if you think about it, he said, their sophistication with uh, charting the water is no less a feat than the fact that we, as a modern civilization, put a human being on the moon. Mm-hmm. It's just the same genius focused in another direction. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, you could talk about that for all these skills that people have. And I, you know, I just think about the fact that, uh, you know, we are in a sense, like if the food just stopped showing up at the grocery stores, uh-huh. if the water stopped coming uh-huh. out of the top, then what? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, you know, that window is real short. People don't realize that, man. You know, most, most of the stuff that I'm reading says, you know, we have about three days of food inside of our grocery store, inside of the grocery stores, man, mm. you know, and, and, and water. So here's like the hierarchy. This is what we learned three, three and three mm. or the rule of threes, basically that you normally have three minutes without oxygen. They say you have three uh, days without water and you have, uh, I'm sorry. So three minutes without oxygen, you have three hours without shelter, mm. right? Sorry. Like, so if you're exposed to the elements, you have three hours, I'm sorry, three days then um, without water and three weeks without food. So no, that's the, it's the rule of threes, they say. And so that's the thing. Like if you, if you don't figure that out, you know, like what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and what you can and cannot eat or how to catch them or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, like I'm embarrassed. Like, I feel like I don't need, I mean, there's so much, you know what I mean? That I want to know and I want to learn. Um, but it, but uh, again, it, it seems like it's overwhelming at times, you know what I mean? But, but you know, we've, it's almost like, so for me, my joining in these things is to sever myself from that. Yes, I'm going to be a part of it, but I'm not now, like you're not my, you're no longer my, you know, my, um, you know, you're no longer my placenta. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're no the umbilical cord. Yeah. yeah, the umbilical cord is 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 cut now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or or weaned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And now I have to get and I have to you know to get my own. So to be able to to kind of use it in that way, yeah, there are incredible benefits, right? Do I want to go out every day as a sustenance hunter? 
You know what I mean? And in this society, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Do I want to forage every day? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, I couldn't. You know, given the situation that I have in, in, in work and the amount of time that takes. So I understand that there are almost two parallel existences. But I think, you know, blessed is the one who causes an intersection between those two parallels, man. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I'm seeing. Right. Mm -hmm. Or anyway, that's what I find to, to, to be that. And like you said, yeah, the you know, ca call them primitive, man. You know what I mean? There was a funny story a Syrian told me when we lived in Damascus once. He said, uh, he said, you know, that there was a man who came and said, you know, uh, he, he, he was, you know, educated and from the city and he had come to this, um, you know, uh, man who's a simple man. He had a ship or a little rowboat and he would bring people across, mm -hmm. you know, from one side of the river to the other. And, uh, you know, the man's kind of looking at him, you know, educated and says to him, you know, like, what do you, uh, you know, like, what do you know about, like, you know, geopolitics? Mm -hmm. And he says, you know. Nothing, mm -hmm. you know. I don't, I don't know anything. And in Arabic, he says, yeah, You know, half your life is gone. Mm -hmm. It's like a way of degrading someone. Mm -hmm. He tells me, you know, what do you know about you know this? What do you know about the global economy? La 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 I don't know anything about it. But half your life is gone. Mm -hmm. He keeps grilling him in these types of things. So then the boat begins to sink. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the you know, gentleman with the certificates and degrees and that knowledge mm -hmm. says, help me, help me. I don't know how to swim. And the man tells him, you don't know how to swim? Kullu umrak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't know how to swim? Your whole life is gone. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I think that resonates for me, right? That resonates for me. And it was interesting because I remember one time I was on a retreat and, the, and they were like, you know, let's have a bonfire and, you know, mm -hmm. do the marshmallow s'mores thing mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. And, uh, <laughs> And I came outside, and, and they had put some logs on top of each other, and the logs were wet. And, uh, and they had a lighter, like a little Bic lighter, like, you know, trying to light a log, <laughs> you know what I mean, with a, Bic, with a Bic lighter. And I didn't say anything. I just kind of sat back and, you know, and, and, and just kind of watched, like, in, they're asking each other, like, hey, why, why isn't this lighting? You know what I mean? Why is it? And, and I think to me what it spoke of was the modern conveniences, mm -hmm. which is you don't have to put an effort into anything mm -hmm. because we've already done all of that for you. And all you have to do is kind of take it out of the package. Push a button. P push a button, right? So no one would think about splitting that wood and getting to the inside of the wood where it's dry, s producing some sort of tinder, kindling and then using that as fuel mm -hmm. and then even situating those other logs that were near it once your fire is going to begin to suck the moisture mm -hmm. out of it right mm -hmm. but again the one who doesn't possess something can't give it and i feel unfortunately that's where we're at now mm -hmm. more and more and 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 the society that we're in it just allows us to to mask it mm -hmm. right it allows us to mask it and so so for me yeah triple a is a great service but learn how to change your tire yourself, man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? At least you know how to do it then. And I feel for me, that's kind of where I'm at in this thing. Many people in our, I say within the Muslim community example, that were coming from developing countries, they had these skills, mm -hmm. but now have been kind of duped in my opinion. 
to, to, to think that modernity, you know, um, has no place for that mm-hmm. and has no value for it. No, perhaps the people that you're associating with have no place and don't honor that. I have a great honor for it. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you just something subtle that we had, you know, our children, uh, we use cloth diapers on our children, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times when I'd speak to people, they, they were like, lish, <laughs> why? <laughs> you know, why? And for me, I'm like, what do you mean, why? You know what the average shelf life is for a, for a, for a, for a Pampers that goes into the landfill, man? It's 250 years. Mm. So say your child has four or five movements a day, including urine, and you're throwing four or five of those, right? You're up to 1,000, you know, 200, 1,250 years now, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. of, 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 of age that you've put into this mm-hmm. thing right now. And that's one kid. And we're averaging like four per family. (laughs) (laughs) So so for me, it's like, no, you have to ask yourself, what is your ethical position? What is your moral? And then what are the things that you want to have that help you gain those things, Mm -hmm. man? Rather than being someone that just kind of jumps on board this thing, because this thing, man, it's about, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? We, 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 We can't be bought into this idea that infinite growth is going to happen with finite resources, man. Insane. You know what I mean? That's a, that's like you should get an X on that one mm-hmm. on your exam. <laughs> Answers wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're kind of getting at it. But one of the most important things for me to emphasize in our age is the naturalness of the Sunnah. Mm. That the the prophetic example is about being an earth human Mm. you know and Mm. even if you think about the arabs the ancient arabs it's fascinating that their cities were we wouldn't even consider them cities right now they're just like little towns with like a few mud huts and you know that's it Mm -hmm. but they understood that the people the bedouin Mm -hmm. the people outside the city they still Mm -hmm. had a a purity to them Mm -hmm. in language spiritual Mm -hmm. purity Mm -hmm. and that to send their children to live out mm-hmm. in the in the wilderness, essentially, mm-hmm. for for a period of time in their youth was necessary to build a strong child. That's right. You know what I mean? And, you know, if you think of the prophet as someone who knew the time of day by the sun, mm-hmm. who knew the direction by the stars, mm-hmm. who would spend time in retreats in the wilderness, in yeah. the caves yeah. and in the mountains. Yeah. And, you know, we want to talk about the sunnah. Yeah. Like, you're not following the sunnah yeah. if you are not yeah. a human being who yeah. communes with nature. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, man. You know, and I think for me, one of the telltale signs is the anxiety we always get at, at, at the start and end of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our community is in upheaval, man. Mm. And, and as an imam, it's the worst time of year for you, man. It's like the worst time of year mm-hmm. because everyone throughout the years, Quran, Sunnah, Quran, Sunnah, Quran, Sunnah, Quran, Sunnah. Soon as Ramadan comes, yeah. as far as I know, the Sunnah is fast when you see it and break your fast when you see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and we can get into all of the mm-hmm. long, highfalutin conversations we want. But what you're doing also is you're eliminating a major part of his ummah. Mm-hmm. Because not everyone has access to the technologies that you have. Now, do I say that we abandon it? No. As I said, I'm not a Luddite rejectionist. Mm-hmm. But what I am is someone that is in touch with God's cycle. Mm-hmm. And when you're in touch with God's cycle, now you begin to understand. I mean, there are people, CD, that I've brought out to go see the moon in Ramadan that just start weeping, mm-hmm. man. 
they start weeping. Why? In my opinion, because they're witnessing a natural phenomena for the first time. Mm -hmm. They're seeing something coming from the ghaib, from the unseen, into the scene. That's a miracle, man. That's a miracle. That new moon. That, that new moon, man. The other thing is that it slows you down. And it tells you, you know, this is not about your timetable, man. This is about the creator's timetable. Mm -hmm. And it makes you now in accordance with that timetable. And if you don't see it, continue your fast. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's amazing how on the biological level, we don't talk about this that much, but the cycles of the moon affects us biologically. Mm. I mean, a woman's cycle... Mm. You know, mm. it's tied to it. And also like hormone, like we don't even know the extent yeah. to which our own, yeah. you know, biology, yeah. cognition yeah. is tied to that. Right. Yeah. And they say, it's, oh, it's a full moon. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, people yeah. are going to be crazy yeah. tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just, it's like most people in modern cities, if they looked at a moon, they wouldn't be able to tell you if it's waxing or waning. That's right. One of the most like poetic metaphors is that our modern lifestyle has actually veiled the heavens from us ah, because you look yeah, up in yeah, the city you yeah. can't see that's the right, stars that's right that's right you physically can't see them and i didn't even understand it until i was in uh jordan yeah in amman and we went to the desert yeah literally in the middle of the desert and and you know being in that area that region yeah right you know uh, Palestine's right there, Jerusalem's right yeah, there, right. Syria's right there. You get the feeling like, oh, this is like the biblical land. Right. Like this is the stage that the Bible, like in the prophets and yeah, the yeah, prophets yeah, of old yeah, took place. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if you're out in the desert and the sun goes down, I mean, the stars are more profound and more brilliant than any special effects, any movie. Like you could actually, and I we did this, Looked at the stars for hours. Yeah. Just like yeah. watching a movie. Yeah. 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 Like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's more light yeah. than there's darkness. Like, the, if you look, you can, even between the stars, you could see another star in the distance, like forever. Yeah. It yeah. just never ends. Yeah. Yeah. And we just sat there amazed. And we prayed Maghrib. And if you're standing as in, in, in prayer and the voice is reverberating and you see the expanse, you look everywhere you look, it's just desert. Yeah. Openness. Yeah. And the sun is descending and you see the ripples on the sand and the subtlety and you feel the, the softness of the sand as you, your forehead prostrates. And then you come up and the, again the voice reverberates and echoes off the kind of mountain walls in the distance. And you look at the, the expanse of sky and watch where it meets the desert. And I was like, oh, this is what this dean originally was mm, mm. you see what i'm saying like yeah, this yeah, is what yeah. it is yeah you know it's it's it made me think of a lot of things on that first of all i have my own philosophy about the full moon mm -hmm. and its connection to the werewolf mm -hmm. and how i were ordered to fast because of the shahwa of the human being so i feel mm -hmm. like the werewolf and i haven't read on this but it's just my own kind of philosophy mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that the werewolf is just it's 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 a story of the human beings whose shahwa is you know is the just given over and, and desires and passions overtake them during mm. that time mm. because what's the order for us fast during the white days mm -hmm. because the fasting 
kills those carnal, right. suppresses those Ooh. carnal desires. You know what I mean? So, so that's something that I've just been kind of thinking about. Second is, so I grew up on an island, man. And, and alhamdulillah, like I said, we, light pollution wasn't a reality where mm. we were at. So I grew up with that literally every night, mm. man. And, 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 and that's, you know, we, we were, I was out, I grew up literally like outside, man. We hung out outside. As a kid, we partied, you know what I mean? Our parties were outdoors, mm. you know what I mean? Around a bonfire on a beach or whatever it was, you know? And so, and we were always walking in the night, which is another thing I think that helped me is like, I can see pretty good in the night, man. Like, you know what I mean? I avoid puddles and, you know, not walk through stuff. And, but what you're saying on that other side as well, too, is that you know, how do you understand the metaphor or the meaning when the Prophet says that my Sahaba are like the stars? Mm. Whenever you follow them, you will be guided. Mm. Whenever you follow them, you, right? So now, what is navigation? Mm. Navigation is through the stars. So that metaphor is powerful, man. But if you are blinded, like you said, mashallah, I love that. You're blinded. I don't love that it's a reality, but I love the metaphor. We're blinded of the celestial realities, man, that are above us, that canopy. Which is interesting because then metaphorically, it keeps us in the lower realm. Mm -hmm. Down. It keeps us down, down. right? And, and as I heard before, that actually the, the, the pig is the only animal that can't raise its head up to the heavens the way that its vertebrae wow. are actually created. Mm -hmm. So it's a lowly. Mm. You know what I mean? Animal. And we don't want to be those little animals. Mm. We're angelic, man. So the thing that I think about when you say that as well, too, because I've been in situations like that, what I also think about is when the Prophet ﷺ talked about call the adhan, because the malaika will, roll, will line up with you in salat, mm -hmm. as far as you can see. I mean, that's, come on, man. Like, where's that? Mm -hmm. Where's that? So for that, just get out sometime. Go into a park, man, and go make your salat on a park. Just for that. So they're not confined into your little space, you know what I mean? To, to feel, to experience the sunnah in that way. Because now you have to ask yourself, what, how much of that do I believe? Right. And that's what I think about. And for me, that is it. And some of my most profound experiences, man, have come from that. And that's another thing about, mm. that I said about hunting, man. It's just, I mean, there, we could go into that. There's so much yeah, about please. that, man. There's, I remember one time we talk about these realities and opening stuff up, man. So I remember one time I, I kept feel like I kept missing the deer. Like I was getting there just too late. I would find droppings. I'd find pop, you know, mm -hmm. prints and stuff like that. So I said, I'm going to go real early this time, man. You know what I mean? Because normally you can only shoot a half hour before sunrise. Right? Mm -hmm. So Fudger would normally come in right around the time that would, be, that would begin. You'd have about 20 minutes normally half an hour almost once you would pray fajr until when legal shooting light is i said i'm gonna go an hour and a half before mm -hmm. man so i'm out in the woods an hour and a half before fajr mm -hmm. and there's no moon that night it's like literally it's pitch black and i walk in i got my headlamp i walk into my stand and what i was going to do was i was just going to wait on the bottom of my stand at the tree for fajr to come in just sit up against the tree leaning back up against the tree and um, and wait for Fajr to come and pray my Fajr and then scurry up into the tree. Because normally what I would do is I would get to the parking area, which was normally about a quarter mile or a half mile walk from where I was at. I'd pray my Fajr there and then I'd walk in, which would give me the time that normally when I got there, mm -hmm. it would be close to shooting light and I could get set up. So this time I said, no, nah, I'm going to go real early, man. So I got about, a, about an hour and a half before Fajr was coming in, man. Got to the tree sat there, sat down, got settled down. And like I said, literally, I put my hand out in front of me, I couldn't see my hand. That's how dark <laughs> it was, man. But what happened, 
I started hearing all these animals scurrying like by me. And I'm thinking to myself, what's the qabr going to be like? I mean, that's the, the reality. Mm-hmm. What's the grave going to be like, man? Mm-hmm. Just black and you. And at that time, you know, it's, it's you know, 4.40, you know, a.m. So it's not like there's a lot of noise. And it, it's, it's, you know, other than the natural, you know, noises around you. So, again, these are things, as I said, that you glean from that. So you'd never think about that. Would you ever, oh, hey, I'm going to take up hunting. It's going to remind me of the grave. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to think about hunting. It's going to remind me of my Lord and what it's going to be like inside of there, cold and alone. And, you know, so these are the things that just come to you. And this is the thing that like, I've taken people on hikes. I take them outdoors and just look at a, some standing water and say, can you make wudu off of that? And they're like, uh, no. I say, well, why? Is it because it's dirty? I said, oh, well, why is it dirty? And they said, well, don't you see all that mud and dirt inside of it? I mean, mud and dirt has nothing to do in terms of najasa, mm-hmm. right? If it's over, you know, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. from what is our, mm-hmm. from something that we understand from, sure. our, from, from our tradition in terms of the law. So again, if, if our only interaction with evolution, with, with making will do, is turning on a tap, mm-hmm. then what do they say? What, what, I think it was GW. He said, if all you ever do is all you ever done, then all you ever be is all you ever are. Mm. <laughs> right? mm. So if all you ever do is all you've ever done, right. then all you ever know is all you'll ever know. That's how I looked at it. Mm. You know what I mean? And we have to put ourselves in these situations. Then, in my opinion, the dean starts to Islam starts to speak to you totally different, mm. man. Totally different. Mm. And even what you said about just the voice. What I feel is that we are so desirous to be in a controlled environment, mm. climate control. Mm-hmm. Right? 72 degrees year round. Mm-hmm. To me, that's problematic, man. If you're not sweating, how are you getting toxins out of your body? So if you're constantly comfortable at that, I mean, there's just so many things that I think about in terms of this, like, like get your sweat on, man. Mm-hmm. And the process on top, don't curse a fever, right? Mm-hmm. Don't curse the fever. It's a, one of the ways he talked about uh, toxins being removed from our body. Mm-hmm. And so this idea to sweat, I think that's an issue that we have right now as well with our health. We're not getting these toxins, you know what I mean, out of our body at a rate that they're being produced inside of our body. That's my own philosophy, you know what I mean? You hear a lot now people talking about this uh, eat what you kill movement. Uh And there's just a lot. I think people are waking up to the reality of how not only cruel, but unhealthy Mm. and disturbing like the factory farm (sighs) industry is. And you are starting to think about, there's that, the level of, care and concern for these creatures mm. that you're, you know, they're, you know, what they're pumped full of and that they're mm. pumped mm. full of these things that make their, the chicken breast grow so large that it can't even walk. That's so right. it's on its side. That's right. They're in this cooped up where they're pecking each other and they can't move yeah. around. They don't have any freedom. Yeah. And let a, you know, there's the cruelty on the animals. And then there's the fact that, okay, and then you're putting that into your body. That's right. This being That's right. that lived that cruel existence Plus the chemicals, antibiotics, whatever, mm-hmm. they're pumped full of hormones. Some people, it's causing them to just be like, I'm just going to be totally vegetarian That's right. and vegan. Yeah. And on the other hand, there's others that are like, I'm going to try to get my own meat right, right. in a more uh, natural way. And yeah. I know you're someone who, you know, you hunt to eat what you hunt. Yeah. So yeah. what has that been yeah. for you? Yeah, it's been, again, it's been, it's been liberating, man. You know, it's been liberating. I... You know, I, I've written about this. I've written some stuff, and my grad thesis is, is, is actually on this. I'm 
Alhamdulillah, I've got a deadline. <laughs> but it's it's got to be it's got to be finished with it in Feb, you know, in March, really. Um, but but I've given this thing a lot of thought, man. And I think that you know that we could argue, you know, it, it's 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 interesting because I think that we could argue from an ethical perspective as Muslims about whether or not we should be eating. not not because taking a life is unethical. Look, I'm not a Brahmin, man. I'm, I'm a Muslim. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't have that kind of mm-hmm. idea of life philosophically that you may have. And, and hey, to each their own. Mm-hmm. That's your path, that's your path. That's not mine as a Muslim. Mm-hmm. So to say that somehow I should not be eating meat because it's unethical to take the life of another creature, that doesn't, that's not part of, 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 of my deen. But treating them, these animals, uh, in the most humane way, that's our deen. Mm-hmm. And when you divorce it from that, in my opinion, you've divorced yourself now from the ethical relationship or the ethical reality uh, uh, of our deen and only concerned yourself with the positive law aspect of our deen, mm-hmm. that the throat was cut mm-hmm. uh, and, and whatever happened prior to it, that's not my, that's not my concern. Mm-hmm. That's not us, man. That's the absolute opposite. You know, mm-hmm. we're the absolute opposite, man. When you look at the Prophet there's a hadith in Riyadh al-Salihim where he, he walked by an animal. He said, ride them when they're healthy and eat them when they're healthy. Mm. Right. So, and again, there's a whole, the whole other metaphysical side in terms of what we're putting inside of our bodies, man. Right. So whether you take the hadith that's weak or not, that the sins of the, of the, of the, of the associating partners with, 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 with God was, was what caused the, the white, stone that's now the black stone at the Kaaba, right? There's a metaphysical, mm-hmm. whether it's Sahih or not, okay, we can, you can, you can mm-hmm. discuss that. But there's a reality that's being the idea of transference, mm-hmm. right? And the metaphysics that is a part of that, um, that we have to, that we have to, you know, that we really have to look at. And I think, you know, for me, you know, that's what, that's what, that's what drives me now more and more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I, I stopped eating beef years ago, man. Like we, we, we rarely, rarely will eat beef. And what we'll do, we'll only eat it with someone that we know personally has gone and hand slaughtered it mm-hmm. themselves. And it was grass fed, pasture raised, you know, in its, in its, other than that, we're cool, right? So our primary is chicken. And even that, our chicken, this goes again, this is that issue of convenience, right? Yeah, I drive 45 minutes. Oh, actually, from my house, it's an hour and, and a half, one way to go get chickens. Mm. And, but I know the farmer who raises them and I know that he hand slaughters them, right? So, and I know they're antibiotic free, they're hormone free and they're pasture grazed. I don't have any other questions after that, man. Now, if, you know, because I, I just feel that, you know, for me, what I signed up on or to in terms of the ethics that I want, then that matches it, man. Mm. And I'm not looking to dodge and dip and dive around that. Does it cost more? It does. Does it, is an hour half of gas? Yeah, I got to pay that. But what's the, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. That's the other thing you have to ask ourselves. At what cost? I'm not putting these antibiotics and hormones into my kid's life, man. That's the other thing you have to think about as a father. It's not just about me. Oh, it's inconvenient for me to drive. Yeah, it is. You're right. Right? But what's, what's that? To look at my daughter and say, yeah, I fed her, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This for 10, 15 years of her 
of 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 her life, and 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 now and now the FDA is gonna you know what I mean break break the information to us like they did on cigarettes and like they right. did on you know some of these other. I'm not waiting around for that information right. to come. Ach, the information is already there, right. whether you want to accept it or not. So that's really the path of what I've taken in terms of me. So you know the other thing that we'll do for red meat is you know if I have a season like this year, I didn't get anything with my bow. Um, we'll have a couple of times where we'll, we'll slaughter and share, you know, a half a sheep. But it also cuts down the amount of meat that we're eating. Right. You know what I mean? So, so you know, we may, I think last year I got probably uh, a lamb. So it means I had two halves. I split with someone. Uh, but I also had a couple of deer that I had shot, you know what I mean, with my bow throughout the year. So now I'm, I'm looking at, you know, somewhere between 50 and 80 pounds of meat per animal and you shoot a couple of those you know you get a half a lamb and some chickens through the year you're good you know right. what i mean yeah because that's what we, we don't think about is it if you get a deer i mean how like that's going to last a family of four yeah we so months. i shot a deer in november we had probably till about april may let alone an elk or something like right that. exactly so you're looking at about six months of meat and the thing is you know we're we're inviting people over as well too so it's not like we're just kind of breaking off a little piece for mm -hmm. ourselves no we're like because we want to we want to like show people like look this is what's out there for you mm -hmm. man and i'm not saying everyone's gonna be a hunter but i'm saying give it a chance man because now it's like i don't know just for me and when I heard, you know, Sheikh Hamza told me that, uh, that Hamza Anu, he told the Prophet that he learned about God while he was out hunting. Mm. <laughs> I mean, prior to, his, mm. prior to his Islam, you know, and he was known as being, you know what I mean, uh, a, a hunter, you know, a bow hunter. Mm. And, and for me, you know what I mean, that's, that, that's why, you know, I've, I've, I've taken this up, you know. Mm. And, 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 and some people ask, you know, why the bow and not the gun if it's just about me. Well, I have my own philosophy on that, man. Uh, personally, you know, the bow, uh, it, one, is challenge. But yeah, there's a skill set that comes with, with, with shooting an animal at long distance, absolutely, and that's a, that's a skill that people have. Um, but I'm just looking for a different skill, right? For me, the skill is to get within 40 uh, yards uh, 50 and even I would push it out perhaps you know as I'm kind of honing myself mm -hmm. even to get even better but but right now 40 you know 50 yards um, you know to that animal I mean and it's, it's not easy man mm -hmm. it's not easy you're playing against his nose or her nose you're playing against eyes and normally it's multiple eyes so it's not just that one that you're focused on that you're going to shoot it may have there's other you know what i mean kind of lookouts if you will mm -hmm. around it as well that you're going to contend with all of that stuff so it's a game of patience and one wrong move is done you know what i mean it's a wrap and you know, you know what i mean they're not waiting around to see what's going to happen they're just they're gone and it's done since i started in 2003 primarily i've been hunting whitetail and they're a different animal i will say I think they're much easier to hunt than the um, mule deer and blacktail and, and elk, which I've taken on the last couple of years out here in the West. And you know, alhamdulillah, I had some trips to Colorado, which Shilta, I want to talk about that a little bit. Just, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it's it's a different it's a different animal and it's a different style of hunting. So, for example, this year up in the Sierras, so we use a spotting scope and just get up high up on a ridge. We were up around ten thousand feet, looking down into these valleys and you know, in these little wooded areas and all of a sudden oh there's a deer right there man we saw the deer at noon and we weren't in position for a shot until 7 p.m mm. 
So now you've got to come down. We're about a mile and a half. We've got to come down that area. Salat comes in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You've got to now find a water source. Mm-hmm. You've got to make will do or te'amum if it's, you know what I mean, if, if, if that's appropriate. But you've got, you know what I mean, you might want to catch a snack in between because you're hungry, you mm-hmm. haven't eaten anything. And uh, so all of this comes into play. And then the last minute, we couldn't get a shot because he upped and moved and went to another spot. Mm-hmm. And it's as simple as that. You know what I mean? And it could have been a coyote that pushed him. It could have, who knows? It could have been another deer that injured. But my point is, you know, it's seven hours, man. And, and at the end, it's not, now with a rifle, he was dead. You know, because we had him at 70 yards. Right. We just couldn't close that extra distance and he got up and walked away. Mm-hmm. So that also for me, allows me then to understand what is the meaning of a razak the provider. Mm-hmm. Because if I go to my refrigerator all the time and it's full, mm-hmm. and I know it's full because I went to the supermarket and I can go to the supermarket, then what do I have really? Really, honestly, what do I have to understand that God Almighty is my provider? It's hard, I don't know, maybe some people do it, but when my refrigerator stock, it's a challenge for me right. to understand what my provider is. But if I'm out in the natural world, and not only am I seeing myself, but I'm seeing everything else being provided for, man. Right. The inner world. The inner, there you go. The oneness, really, the tawheed of it all, just like, yeah, man, because it, otherwise it's like tra- Trader Joe's is my provider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reliable, tawakal. There you go. I have complete reliance on Trader Joe's yeah, exactly. every time. Exactly. And if you get there, I actually went to Trader Joe's last night. And it was late, and they were out of like a handful of stuff that they usually have. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I got it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 exactly, man. You know, and again, so that goes back to the other cycle as well mm-hmm. about how connected we are to that, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, in my opinion, those then become the veils. Mm-hmm. So, so, so engaging in this for me is a lifting of those veils. Like I said, I'm not going to reject all of it. No. Yeah. I enjoy, Hey, I got to go down. I got to get something for a salad or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is, coconut oil, whatever. Sure. I'm not going to, I right, can't make sure. my own coconut oil right now. But you'll probably but, think about it <laughs> right. next time. Like if you, right. that's the thing. Cause I, you know, I grew up American kid eating meat all the time, but it wasn't until I went to West Africa that I actually saw in Morocco, I, we slaughtered a sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was in the Gambia. And that was the first time I ever saw like a large animal. We had these big cows mm-hmm. that we that they slaughtered mm-hmm. uh, for like this big, you know, they had a huge gathering mm-hmm. of uh, Qadiriya, the Sufi order, Qadiri Sufi mm-hmm. order, West Africa, they all come, thousands of people. So they slaughtered these cows to feed everyone and some sheep as well and just watching the huge animal and you know get slaughtered that was the first time i'd ever seen that yet i'm eating hamburgers and steaks my whole life and really reflecting on the fact it didn't make me be like you know i'm never eating meat again but it definitely like drove home to me that i need to be conscious when i eat meat that there's a being that gave its life for this yeah and so you know yeah, for the last 10 years, every time, ever, ever since I took the path, you know, I've only eaten zabiha meat, yeah. you know, halal, yeah. hand-slaughtered meat, where, you know, bismillah, Allahu akbar, in the name of God. And yeah, yeah. My, you know, when I try to explain that to people, like, what does that mean? Why is that? And it, it, to me, one of the essential aspects is honoring the creator and honoring this being for giving its life. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. this isn't just, oh, kill another one, That's another right. one, That's another right. one, 
feed, you know, I need calories. I want a hamburger. Yeah. It's, there's a cycle of life. Yeah. And we are woven into it. We're yep. not separate from yep. it. Yeah. And this being, it gave its life. Yeah. For, for not in vain, but for nourishment. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use this, you know, for uh, energy to do righteousness and to do uh, works, good works, and to be a, a righteous human being, inshallah. Eventually, I'm going to go back to, my physical form is going to go back to the earth too. That's right. And I'm just woven into this. You yeah. Know? You know, it's interesting, um, you know, in what you say, because then I feel like it's also then should make us reflect, if you want to take it to this level, like it's a haq that that animal has upon us that we will only work what is righteous after mm. eating its meat. Right. You see what I mean? So it's right. It's, it's the, the right of the that's, animal. That's the right of the animal, mm. right? That it is not used in vain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and for me, again, now that just brings up this consciousness now. And now, and like you said, if you are cognizant of, of this animal, you know, and, and life that's, that's, that's being given, um, I think it also impacts, you know, consumption patterns, right? Like you said, another hamburger, another mm-hmm. hamburger, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I said. So not only, so again, vertically we've been disconnected or veiled, I think, mm-hmm. but also horizontally. Mm-hmm. And that's how I look at it in mm-hmm. terms of meat and things like this. Because even in that, you know, and it's interesting, Imam Zayn had a really interesting point, something different but similar, where he said that, you know, death, for example, was a real part of our of our society, remembering yes, that. Absolutely. And cemeteries were a part of our cities, man. Absolutely. They were built Central. in a way for you to be able to reflect. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Damascus City, one of our apartments was on the fourth floor and it looked right into a cemetery. Wow. Like literally, when you walked out of our door, 10 more steps, you walked into the wall of the cemetery. Mm-hmm. So we were seeing every time someone was being buried, we were witnessing that reminder, man. And so for me, one of the things that you read in the, you know, in, in, in the text with regard to the Bismillah as to why, there's different ideas. But one of the, the reasons about saying Bismillah, the name of God, when you cut, is for you to be reminded of the sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that, to me, that was just powerful, man. Mm-hmm. For you to be reminded of the sanctity of life of this animal that you have just taken. You know, and now how does that play into your, how are you going to deal with that thing now? Like you just, you just, something just left life for you to benefit from it. And that's, as you said, that's a cycle. That's, that's the sunnah that Allah has created, that God has created for us to live. So I can't, I don't reject that. The question is, how do I deal with it? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's what we're cut off from now, mm-hmm. because when it's just packaged and it just goes into the frying pan, I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And that's our society right now. I don't have to think about it, but it, you know, that's, that's not the reality. Mm-hmm. The reality is that you do have to think about it, mm. right? Just as you have to think about all of these other things. And as you said, we have these other tools inside of us. I just want to just mention you real quickly about what was it like packing up and heading to Colorado, man, to shoot an elk? Mm. You know, I mean, for me, it's like, so what I'm looking at is like, you know, that's just serious halal meat for myself and my family. And, and you know what I like to consider my tribe, my friends, right. and you know what I mean that are yeah, around so that, that, that circle. How much? How much meat is that, and how much? Yeah. How long will that last? You could yield anywhere from you know probably like two fifty, like two somewhere in the range of like two hundred to three hundred pounds of 
of of meat depending on a bull or a cow and mm-hmm. and that can that can increase it can decrease you know, depending mm-hmm. on the size of the animal that you shoot but um you know it's it's they say normally looking at about 40 percent mm-hmm. and on the hoof um the bulls are somewhere around you know 800 800 pounds wow. for a bull and, and and the cows are somewhere around 450 you know 450 around there or something like that you know um and and those aren't hard fast numbers, right? So there's mm-hmm. some like kind of that mm-hmm. false sure. range. But to kind of head out with a bow and a backpack and everything, your food, your sleeping system, your clothing, you know, all of that water purification, everything is in that is in that backpack. Mm-hmm. And we're walking in like the closest we walked in, you know, a couple of miles, but we we're able to drive into this one place. <clears throat> and we drove in, I think it's uh I think it's about uh, 10 miles to the um, closest tarred road mm-hmm. that we drove in. And from there, the city with a population of about 2,000 people or something like that uh, was 26 miles. And then from there, where we parked, we walked in almost another two miles. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're, we're out there. You are trying to basically get into the living space of this animal. And, you know, similarly, oh, you know, turkeys are dumb or whatever that we like to say about them. Okay, try and hunt one, man, with a bow. Let me try, (laughs) let me see you try and get a turkey with a bow. You figure out how dumb they are, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the best eyesight in the animal kingdom right turkeys have mm. and then the elk you're dealing with their nose you're dealing with you know what i mean and then we had this elk coming down at us man 120 yards he was perfect he's coming right towards us and then all of a sudden he just stops on a dime at about 85 yards puts his nose up in the air smells a little bit turns around and runs off man mm. he caught our wind what they say Mm. Right, so you're dealing with you're in a bowl, so you're like in this little valley. So the wind is like swirling around in there because it might be in your favor, mm-hmm. but it comes, it hits something on the other side, it catches a draft over there, it pushes it back around. All he needs to do is just catch a whiff of that. Mm. He ain't, she's not trying to figure out what's going on or whatever. He's just out. He's like, that's you know, a new one. That's I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and again, and you're trying to deal. You know what I mean with 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 all of these factors, and then get within you know I say fifty. Mm-hmm. 40, 30 yards of this, of this animal, you know, that big, you know, that, that pronounced, but also that subtle. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing we learned. You know, we had this elk, we were set up the last day. We set up in this place where we actually found where he was living at, man. It was a jeep. It was because <clears throat> when they, when they're in mating season, they, they're very territorial and they're marking their, 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 their areas with their, with their horns. They mm. rub the trees. It's called a rub. Mm. And um, and uh, so we actually got into this spot where they were. He had rubbed up this whole area, and uh, and and um, we set up in the morning. Um, we knew he was around that area because we had seen him for two days, and then um, you know we were set up. A friend of mine was about probably sixty yards on the other side of this meadow, and I was on the the entrance side where he where where where, where he was coming up out of this valley. And I'm looking to my left, and all of a sudden I hear a twig snap. And I look to my right, and I see the back, the hind quarter of the elk kind of slink by. I'm mm. thinking, how did this 800-pound animal, man, walk by me at 50 yards, and I didn't even hear him? Mm. 50 yards, man. It wasn't even 50, it was probably 40. So then I said, well, that's great, because he's going right into the direction of where my friend is, man. So I wait, I wait, I wait. 
I don't hear a shot. Because normally you'll hear, you know, the animal will just, you'll hear a big, cr- it'll be running, you know what I mean, right. after it's shot. So then I kind of, you know, some time goes by, like, man, just so I get up, I stand up, and I start motioning to my friend. I'm like, hey, did you, did you shoot him? You know, I kind of made it like a bow and arrow. I said, did you, did you shoot him? And he's like, what? You know what I mean? I'm like, he's like, what? And I, and I kind of put the antlers on my head. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. the elk. He's like, then he's like, he's like, what elk? I'm like, the elk that just walked right by you, man. Dang. He didn't even see it, mm-hmm. man. And then we came in and found its tracks. It walked 27 yards from where he was at. Because we, we marked it off. Wow. From where he was at, it 27 yards, it walked right by him. He didn't even hear it, man. So it's like, you know, it's, it's just so incredible. And there's so many stories and just lessons and, you know, and just being out there, drinking the water. Because now you're up at that level where you don't have to purify your water. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he, mashallah, on that trip, he had such a great opening where he said that he felt our love for the rivers and this natural environment is the inherent love that we will have for Jannah, mm-hmm. for paradise. Because paradise is explained as what? Jannat and tajri min al anhar. Right? Gardens beneath which rivers mm-hmm. flow. Mm-hmm. And it's not some sort of metropolis that is promised in paradise. <laughs> it's not cars. It's not buildings. It's gen. So to love them in this world mm-hmm. is to be preparing yourself, man, mm-hmm. for a love and a desire for them in the next one. Is when you see that, it just it makes you cry, man. It just you just you just oh, we just just weeping, man, being blessed to be in that situation, mm-hmm. and and having a and 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 wanting and having that being something that you're desirous of and wanting to spend your time in. Mm-hmm. So I know you do a lot of, uh, you know, retreats. You take people to the wilderness. You take people not only hunting, but hiking, camping. And often you do this, you know, with a type of spiritual intention. Like we're going on a retreat where we're going to not necessarily even study text. Maybe we're going to read over some, reflect on some wisdom, but really just the kind of organic teaching and learning that goes on in that so yeah. uh like moving forward do you see that you know doing that more basically i'm asking because i'm selfishly i want to just come do that <laughs> with you <laughs> yeah you know it's something i've been thinking about for a while and i just may may, may god be, give me courage <laughs> you know that's that's the thing that i think about um the ones that i have taken out i feel people have had a tremendous experience and they've shared this with me right and not because of me nothing it has nothing to do with me Mm -hmm. it's just in my opinion just getting them out there and that in of itself is all that's required you know it's kind of like you know pushing the boat out you know once you kind of push that out Mm -hmm. it kind of takes its own path and people have their own experiences um you know but i but i feel that the time that we're in right now is a time like I, I I think it provides the most transformative experience right now of what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I've been to many retreats, as you know, I studied traditionally, mm-hmm. um, and I feel that where we are right now and w- the kind of the paradigm that we're in in terms of a disconnect with the natural world. In my opinion, I don't. I feel that we're missing a large part of our connection with the Quran because the Quran speaks to us in that language mm-hmm. of mountains and rivers and sun and sky and trees and you know and and as we 
And and even like you know, just getting back to the to the to the to the Dalal Khairat, for example, a book that I love to read. You know what I mean? The the guide to goodness with the the salutations on the Prophet He's talking about over and over again. Oh Allah, send your blessings and salutations on Muhammad. You know the number of uh, leaves on the trees, the number of uh, of peb- of sand that's in the. You know what I mean? In the deserts, the number of stars that are in the sky, the number of, you know, ocean, water that's in the oceans, the number of fish that's in the sea. And, and, and for me, it's like you then really see that when you look at the forest floor and you see all the leaves on the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you see this. Yeah, I walked over it so many times and just had this kind of idea of it's some sort of just decomposing matter. But now it has a different reality to it. Right. For every leaf that was on the tree, send a salutation, send your peace and blessings on Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know what I mean? And and so for me, that's that's you know what I mean. Getting folks out into that mm-hmm. and experiencing that and thinking of that differently. And so yeah, you know, like I said, so I feel that transformative experience. Why I think it happens? I asked my teacher, and this I'll give you his answer. Then I'll give you my own thought as well too. I asked one of my teachers in Damascus. I said, you know, why is it that people? Um, irrespective of what their spiritual orientation is, mm-hmm. um, have this incredible experience when they're in the natural world. And he, you know, mentioned something from our tradition, saying that he said it's the first time that they're in an environment where everything is uh, is in the obedience of God. Right? The wind is blowing as it is supposed mm-hmm. to blow. The trees are doing what it's supposed to be doing. The sun is doing what it's supposed to be doing. The water, the rivers, all of these things. So there's pa. And, and, and scholars have said that, that that's the blessing that we feel in Ramadan. It's a collective, it's the, it's the blessings that we feel from the collective um, return of obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Right? And I feel for me, that's what the, that's what the woods is for me. Mm-hmm. It's being in that place where there's a collective obedience to God. Mm-hmm. And he said the second thing is that they are, their soul is experiencing everything being in the remembrance of God. Mm-hmm. Because the Quran says, mm-hmm. that everything is glorifying God, but yet you don't comprehend its glorification. Mm-hmm. Right? But when we turn off all of those other things, all of those other distractions, and we're just present there, right? then that soul has a different relationship now with that running stream, with that wind blowing through those trees when that sun coming through those clouds, when those raindrops hitting your face, right? They're all forms of supplication. They're all forms of supplication to the creator or to or, or glorification to the creator. And so my, that's his, my thought is that it's the first, it's a time, not the first, but it's a time when people um, are, are forced to recognize their vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? And because, as I like to say, there's no faking it out there, man. There's no faking it out mm-hmm. there. And, there. and the other thing is, you, you understand how painful the price is when you try and cut corners. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, we can get around stuff here, like, oh, I just mm-hmm. won't do that to the fullest or whatever it is. Do that out there and see what happens, man. Right? Don't be present for a second and put your knife down mm. and walk away from it. Now you've got all of this land. You have no idea where your knife is now. Mm. Now you need your knife for right. cleaning that fish, 
yeah. splitting your wood, mm. cutting the cordage to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, you know what I mean? But this idea that you have to be present. And that, it's interesting because I hear people talk about that a lot. Oh, be present, be present. Yeah. There's nothing like being present there. And there's times that I have to say to myself, discipline, Dawood, discipline, Dawood. Because I'll reach for my Leatherman and it will be right next to me. But just that I didn't put it into my pouch. Mm-hmm. Because now when I go to look for it, if it's not there, I have a problem. Mm-hmm. Right? So now it's like that discipline, it forces you to be in the moment. And then when you're in that moment, then you realize your vulnerability. Once you realize your vulnerability, you realize your trust is only in him. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the full cycle. Mm-hmm. And people then experience that in a way that they don't experience it out here. Mm. Right? So, so, so that's, that's, you know, I'm hoping to kind of to, to, to share that with, 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 with more, as many people as I, as I can that are willing to and that, that want to. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's interesting you talked about that getting your own food. And that's that hashtag I created. I have mm-hmm. this hashtag, you know, hashtag get your own halal, mm-hmm. you know, so that you see that a lot of times on the stuff that I'm, that I'm putting up because it's a reminder for ourselves, right? For sure, man. And I, you know, that's one of the things is we, we don't necessarily think about how much, you know, things affect us, how subtle of beings we are. Yeah. Because recently they've kind of realized that the reason that people are, uh, I guess, short-sighted is when you can't see distance, right? Mm-hmm. That a lot of people, more and more people are becoming short-sighted and they... they ne- yeah, ne- nearsighted is when, you, yeah, I think it's... Uh, yeah, but people that more, fewer people can see distance. They need glasses for distance, mm-hmm. and they're saying that a lot of that is because people spend most of their time in spaces where they don't need to focus the distance, right? Mm-hmm. In four walls, mm-hmm. and so the eye from being in four walls, let alone staring at screens and things like that, it actually loses the ability to see long distances, mm-hmm. and that you know people that are in nature. They maintain that a lot. What it's mm-hmm. like a it's like a muscle almost you could say. Right, right. And so let alone more subtle aspects of us mentally, psychologically, in the spiritual dimension. So yeah, man. I, yeah, no, it's interesting. I um, you know, it's interesting because I so this idea of nearsighted, you know, um, is is that objects um. Uh, uh, or far, far farsighted. Sorry, mm-hmm. is when objects are are uh, far, right? They're 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 they're. I'm sorry. When objects are 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 far, yes, and they're blurry, right? And then nearsighted is when they're when they appear clearly, but far ones don't, right? Mm-hmm. That they're close. Yeah. So it's interesting because um, you know I think about that uh, quite a bit, and I. And I, and I'm, and I feel like I'm experiencing a degree of that. You know, I think I think some of it definitely has to do with age. I met a guy yesterday at the mm. bike shop. I was having my bike tuned up a little bit, and he and he was talking. He was saying, you know, he's wearing glasses now, and he he's because he had the same phone as me, and it was a larger size, and <laughs> he was just talking about why he said I couldn't see this iPhone, man. So I had to get this larger phone, and and um, and I said, yeah. He, he said, you know, when I turned 38, it was it all started going downhill from there. He goes, and then you know, now I'm mm. 46 and I can't see. Mm. And I said, yeah, so I'm 46 as well too, man. Mm. And I had the same thing happen to me, mm. but it was a little, a little bit later. But it's, but it's interesting though, because I think it's interesting um, because I do spend. Yeah, I play a lot of games when I'm driving. 
and I'll notice stuff. Like I'll notice a squirrel like running, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, pretty far away. Or today I was just driving real close. I saw a, a deer carcass that was on the side of the road or, or I'll see deer in the distance and I'll say to someone next to me in the passenger seat, like, Hey, do you see those deer over there? And they're like, where, 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 you know, I said, like, you see that thing? But I think, so it's like kind of playing that game mm-hmm. as well. So not just kind of being outside, but yeah. here as well developing too, that developing that, that, that awareness is one. And then also just kind of interesting, developing that awareness is another game that we play like, um, in which is something that came from our teacher, Mike, um, was, you know, constantly being aware of your situation. And situational awareness right now, I feel with the phones is a problem for a lot of people, man. Just walk in, head down, facing the phone, someone grabs your stuff, man. You have no idea what the person looked like, male, female, mm-hmm. you know, race, you know. And, and so, you know, there were some kids um, that I know uh, who were held up, you know, at gunpoint. Mm. And, uh, you know, I just asked them, like, what... What was some, you know, they couldn't tell. Was it a pickup truck? Was it, were they in a car? They couldn't. So again, if you're not trained to situate, you know, did you see anything? Scars, tattoos, rings, you know what I mean? That can only indicate if they're right-handed, if they're left-handed. And these are all things that we picked up from our, fr- from, from our teacher. Hmm. You know what I mean? Of being, having a situational awareness when you come in. Is, and just play it. Like if you're in a place and you're eating some food, is the waiter or the waitress left-handed or right-handed? Mm-hmm. Do they have earrings? Do they not have earrings? Mm-hmm. Did you catch a name tag on mm-hmm. the... And I do that a lot. I'll come up and say, hey, Mike, I need to ask you a question. And they're like, shocked. But do you have a name tag on? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how I just got your name. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, just being in that space. And I think, you know, because we talk about being in the moment, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and looking at those things, playing the game with license plate numbers for memory and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to remember that license plate number, EK75643, you know, okay, it was a brown Buick. Mm-hmm. And just playing that game as you drive, I mean, there's just stuff that I do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But just again, kind of, you know, dealing with the eyes and, and, and awareness and things, uh, and, and things like that are some things that are fun. I play, do it with the kids as well, too, in the car. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, man. Well, thank you for coming and, and for sharing that that journey. I gotta have you back on, man, because we could talk forever. <laughs> I don't wanna let you let you go, but inshallah, um, I hope to come out with you, man. Yeah. Go on, a, go on an adventure. We'll yeah. have some fun, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, may Allah continue to bless you, inshallah, because I feel like that work taking people into nature is so necessary and. It can be a means for people to really transform and grow and awaken and mature and, you know, hopefully bring us out of some of the the sad states we're in. I mean, I mean, I mean, alhamdulillah. Make it, make it a benefit for, for people, inshallah. I mean.